Hi, welcome to Lineage. I'm your host, Shani Jamila. On this show, I'm talking across generations with some of our most imaginative thinkers about how New York City impacts their work and how their work impacts the world. Today, I'm joined by painter Jerome Lagarigue, a longtime Brooklyn resident who was raised in France. A graduate of the Rhode Island School of Design, he's featured in two documentary films, Heavyweight Paint and Jerome Lagarigue, Portrait of an Artist. His work has been supported by residencies, including the Villa Medici in Rome. In this episode, we talk about his collaboration with Maya Angelou, his family friend Nina Simone, what he terms the conflicts and collisions of his work, and his approach to the distinctive figurative paintings that he's known for. We recorded this episode back when it was still cool to have friends and neighbors pop over to your house, so you can hear the sounds of the city in the background as we talk about what it means to be a New Yorker. Jerome is represented by Gallery Olivier Waldman in Paris and Miami, and Dolby Chadwick Gallery in San Francisco. And now, on to the show. So let's talk a little bit about your childhood and your early life. You were born in France. Yeah, born in Paris to a French um, white father and a black American mother from Harlem. And uh, yeah, I grew up um, within Paris, born in 1973. And I guess I had a fairly sort of, you know, I mean, it's hard to describe and compare childhood since it's your own. Um, But it was always very eventful, but also part of growing up uh, and one of um, sort of perhaps maybe the uniqueness of belonging to two different cultures and two geographic locations uh, is that you get to compare and you get to, you know, adapt so your mother's from Harlem. Yeah. What drew her to France? Tell me about your parents. They met in um, they met in Harlem, uh, I believe, at an Elvin Ellie uh, party that he was having. Oh, yeah, that's a story. Absolutely. So, are either one of them dancers? My f- my mother um, was very good friends with Sylvia Waters, who. Um, was initially a dancer and ran the school. And I think she had a party or a third friend of them had a party and my father was invited. He was actually an art director at Esquire in the 60s. Um, and that's how it started. They, they, they just, I guess it was love at first sight or something like that. <laughs> you sound skeptical. Have you ever? I, I mean, about I, yeah, that? no, we have. We've spoken about it. Um, I, I don't recall like, the exact details or the year or this or that. But uh-huh. it's so funny you should mention that because that's actually what I'm painting now. Really? Yeah, I'm digging in into the past, and um, <clears throat> I'm actually. I had my father and my mother uh, send me old photographs of themselves when they got married, what they, you know, just themselves. And uh, we could talk about that, a little, you know, a little more in detail later. But, um, um, yeah, no, it's scattered. It's like old Polaroids, you know. Let's actually talk about it now because, you know, before we were on air, I was telling you about the impetus behind my current project, which is a family history project. So 
um, this is a particular interest to me. Okay. So this is something that you're going to be exploring the love story of your parents, or not the love story? The no, no, not the love story. I'm basically um, trying to um, utilize old photographs of myself as a child uh, from conception on to now and family um, photographs and recompose them um, and inject color into them and really turning them almost into abstract, you know, sort of like compositions um, where you get snippets, sort of like the wall you have. Uh, My ancestor wall. Yes, yeah. yes. Re finding a way to document where you come from, but without being too specific. So you're tracing your own sort of origin story. Yeah, but in the abstract. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I'm not a historian. I'm not a politician. Um, I'm mainly a painter. And the priorities are to create interesting images and compositions. So let's circle back and tell me what is your origin story. So you, you had your parents meet in Harlem, mm -hmm. a French father, black American mom. Mm -hmm. um, they met here. How did they end up living in France? Um, my father wanted to be close to his family again, I believe. And my mother wasn't against the idea of exploring something new overseas. And so, <clears throat> and so, you know, um, there was some good, there was some bad. And she had a lot of friends there, uh, including Nina Simone. I have vague memories of her um, stopping by the house and when I was really tiny. I mean, like, not too tiny. I, I already was painting and drawing. So I started when I was eight years old. But ironically, one day, my mother asked me to... I needed pocket money. Um, and she was like, why don't you do a portrait of Nina? And she'll buy it from you. <laughs> Which I did. I mean, it was really not a great little, you know, study of her face. And uh, I just recall, you know, I was very timidly trying to give it to her. And I was like, Nina, I did this portrait of you. She was like, oh, well, thank you, Jerome. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> but she, she, she was a presence. I mean, as soon as she sat in that couch, you know, you, you, I never forgot it. How much did she give you for your drawing? She didn't give me a dime. Oh, your mama misled you. <laughs> yeah, no, she and it was a, you know it was an uncomfortable sort of moment, but at least she she had that drawing, that painting, small little acrylic painting. Yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, so yeah, so you know it was. Um, that's actually part of what I'd like to paint to some degree, vague memories like that. Of childhood, but without becoming too illustrative, you know what I mean. Finding a way where you you get that impression uh, without being too specific. I mean, that seems to be a hallmark of your painting. Is I think about the series you did on boxing, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, where it was very clear when you looked at the piece, especially once you knew the backstory, what was being depicted. But it's not so 
overt. Like it requires that the viewer engage with the work. That's well, that's exactly my main focus, which is that I see um, paintings as little portals and portals that engage a viewer to jump in. But also, I, I enjoy the idea of giving room for open interpretation. Like, I don't, you know, although there's very, you know, interesting art that's done in a way where you go from a point A to a point Z, and a story is very clearly depicted, leaving no room for interpretation of a story. Any image you look at is obviously going to provoke a very subjective, you know, emotion. So it does become completely, you know, personal. That's what's so fascinating about that craft. Um, But I just like the idea of really letting, you know, somebody get lost. That's why a lot of the older portraits I used to do were like very large, where if you stood in front of the actual surface, Um, you became engulfed in like, you know, abstract fields of color and you had to really step backwards to get the entire image. So I like that duality of having, you know, the physicality of having to step forward and move backwards to collect, you know, uh, a real grasp of a, of a total image. Um, but yeah, is this, this is challenging. This is new for me. This is really, you know, it's been brewing. Um, it's really the sort of the first um, sharing of my childhood. And now that I'm a little bit older, uh, you know, you start looking back. You're like, okay, what did, what did I do for like all these years? Like, well, you know, you can, you, you can start like really looking into what you've done, why you've done it, and who you are, and who you've become, and where you're heading. And it's very, at the same time, uh, intimidating to sort of like share that uh, or produce it painting-wise, but at the same time, completely necessary at this point for me. What lessons are you learning about yourself as you engage in the process of making this work? Um, Well... I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like, uh, I tend to, you know, feel halfway comfortable with myself. Um, But you, I think at a specific age, you let the vulnerabilities of yourself and your flaws um, exist and address them and your strengths. Um, And... In my case, you know, I guess I'm a little less naive, perhaps, and a little less, I don't know, a little less agitated, you know, more comfortable in my, you know, my overall being. Mm. And um, trusting also, you know, what I can share. Because ideally, the goal is to inspire, I think. You know what I mean? More than anything, in my case. Inspire what? Um, Just, you know make somebody want to grab a brush and paint uh to bring a little bit of light you know and somebody's like um 
I don't know, stimulate, stimulate creativity. So your own creative impulse is something that you, it sounds like you've always been in touch with, even from when you were Yeah, because, well, my, my, you know, my father's a, uh, an artist. Um, he was a pretty big illustrator, and he's now a sculptor. My mother um, wrote um, quite a bit, articles and memoirs and stories and so forth. And my French uh, side of the family has been very creative uh, visually. And my American side of the family has been very creative, period, and musically. So there's been art around me forever. Um, and I just, apparently that's something that I, a piece of data that I collected from my father talking about this whole project where I was like, when, when did I start, you know, showing signs that um, that it was going to be, that I was, be, you know, spend time drawing or painting. It was like apparently at eight years old, like I, um, I just sat down and draw a Mickey Mouse that I had um, for hours. And, um, and I don't really recall that moment, but it, it became clear very early on that that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were coming up, you were in France until what age? 1992. How old were you in 92? I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think 18, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. So you Around like, 17, 18. Yeah. Your, the bulk of your childhood, your teenage yeah. years was, were in France. Were, were in France, yeah. Back and forth to back Harlem? And forth, back and forth to Harlem. And that was a very, very you know, informative, plus New York in the 80s. Um, visually, uh, I used to be very afraid of the trains, for example. Oh. Uh, just the sound of the trains. They were, you know, I guess, I mean, the cars just made so much noise. And I was also very... I mean, I, I don't. What's the photographer who who shot? Um, it'll come back to me. Just the graffiti, you know, the graffiti, the power. I mean, the just the layers of data visually was just overwhelming for a Parisian, you know, <laughs> little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great because my, you know, I witnessed literally the birth of hip hop with my cousins. Um, or people debate as to the dates i i personally don't know the dates but you know we used to go to the bronx and start literally seeing people tell their stories while tapping on the hoods of cars and then the transition back to france in a very mellow sort of you know uh, environment was informative now in retrospect because you know it was really you know I felt bipolar, you know, it's like, I'm like, I'm going from here to there, here to there, you know? And, um, I think now it's, I, I look at that as a bonus perhaps rather than a handicap, you know? How does it inform your work now? I don't know if it directly does. Uh, consciously, I'm sure that subconsciously, somewhere, decisions 
um, have been taken. I know that psychologically speaking, one of my, I would say, flaws or one of the, the issues I had is that I saw the world in black or white in every aspect of my life. Either it's great or it's awful. It can't be average. Now I'm trying to celebrate the gray. Mm. Uh, the gray is interesting. Um, it's calmer and it's more soothing. It's less violent. You know, you're less torn. Um, and that perhaps maybe leaps into the work. Uh, I'm not sure, but it's certainly not consciously. Is the photographer you were thinking about earlier, Jamil Shabazz? No, uh, I was just uh, um, I was just thinking he. I mean, he would be a perfect example yeah. uh, of do, you know of having documented that entire era. Actually, the perfect example. Um, no, I was thinking of uh, there's a uh, Bruce Davison mm. where there's just this photograph of this man pointing a gun very calmly on a train that's completely graffitied up to this dude and, and, and passengers are just like, Hey, whatever, you know what I mean? So there was this insanity, even 42nd street, which is now documented in like the, that series, the deuce, but 42nd street was like, you know, you were like, am I going to make it to the next corner type of vibe? There was like, cre uh, you know, I have vivid memories of like drunken, like Santa Claus, walking around at Christmas time and it was just really like at the same time this euphoria and and energy but also very threatening you know and then back on the plane back to a very quiet little life you're like well you know let me let me digest all of this data they 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 were both homes and also um I just loved um I became very inspired by Harlem painting wise especially when I started um, studying in the U.S., just graphically, you know, looking, uh, one of my heroes has, has always been Bearden. And, Mine too. Yeah, and looking at, um, looking at those blocks, and I, you know, I painted a lot of street scenes. I, I Sadly, I didn't document them too well, so I have a lot of, I have a few floating around, um, but... Um, it was always on my mind, you know, just the, the, the colors, the, 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 the moments is, and it, and maybe something that I'll revisit as a topic, as a subject. Um, but no, what mainly constituted a source of influence was the moments spent with my family around, you know, the holidays and you know i was lucky enough to i have cousins that i consider brothers that are roughly my age <clears throat> and you know my grandmother lived until she was 105 oh wow yeah I have so a who yeah so i you know i I, I got to speak to her quite a bit and have her you know what would she tell you what kind of stories would she share well you know she was a church lady and um um came from the south um where in the south um virginia mm -hmm. and um you know she was just a lovely person uh extraordinarily generous she loved me to death you know she was like 
and she, you know, she she was just doing her thing, really. I'm trying to think about what all she saw over the course of her lifetime. What what era? When was she born? I forgot. So that's. I mean, I'm horrible with dates, as you can notice. But she, she, she must have been born. So wait, if it's uh, if she lived 105, she at least died 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Five, 10 years ago. So she basically saw everything. The I mean, she, yeah, she yeah. saw the entire 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. Would she talk about what it was like for her as a black woman to live through that expansive history? Not really. Uh, my cousins were the one that really used to, you know, they used to tease her and, and challenge her. She didn't want to really talk about race like that mm. whatsoever. Um, but in parallel, you know, and that's something that I am trying to revisit. I wish we could, I could go back into that apartment that she stayed for a very, very long time. Um, and retrace its architecture because that's something that I do want to paint. But I recall like in my cousin's room, there were like, you know, a lot of pictures of um, Malcolm X and she was more of a Martha Luther King, you know, type of person um, in terms of what he represented. So that was her, you know, her hero, but she, she wasn't, she didn't, she didn't like, although she never shied away from race, she, she never really, um, enforced that, you know what I mean? My cousins on the other hand, definitely did. So your family is based in Harlem and your childhood, um, was in that part of New York, but as an adult, you've come to settle in Brooklyn and specifically in the, the Fort Greene neighborhood. Mm-hmm. What drew you here? Well, I studied, um, I, I knew I wanted to be a painter, but I, I, um, I knew I also had to make money. And so luckily, miraculously rather, I was asked to teach at Parsons as soon as I graduated. So I was a teacher at 20, 21, sometimes teaching students that were twice my age. And it was extraordinarily intimidating, but um, I didn't have the confidence at first. But I, you know, I grew into it and became more comfortable and loved it. So I did that for ten years. And parallel to that, I I was illustrating um, for the press for like uh, the New Yorker and stuff like that. And one little illustration in New Yorker, which was uh, I believe a play, I forgot the name of the play. Um, triggered the interest of a lot of publishers and I ended up illustrating like eight to ten children books. Wow. Yep. Uh, Two of which they won awards. Um that and they did save my life. How so? Financially. Uh, there was one little anecdote, a little story which is a, a true story where I was really, you know, struggling financially. And I was like, this is it. I can't do it. I have to I have to get a regular job, you know, something. You know, that was, I don't remember if I was teaching that year or that summer, perhaps. And uh, I was really looking to, you know, make a switch. 
and uh, I opened up my mailbox and there's a, you know, a fairly large, you know, amount waiting there from royalty checks from one of the books that had gotten repurchased by another publisher. So it was an advance. So it was literally, you know, a miracle at that, at that, at that stage. Uh Um, But uh, my real, um, the first real opportunity I got to become a fine artist was in um, when I, I won a residency program and grant uh, to go to the Villa Medici in Rome. 2005. So you graduated from RISD in what year? Uh, uh, 96. 96. So I taught for 10 years, Uh approximately nine years, and illustrated for nine as well while painting. And so you applied for this residency or they chose you? No, no, I applied for it. Mm -hmm. And that really was life-changing. How so? Well, because first, you know, I was very sort of fearful at first of leaving New York um, because New York at that time or during that, that phase of my life was really inspiring me every day, architecturally, the lifestyle, the people you meet, like especially like your project, the neighbors, you, mm-hmm. the friends, you know, you, 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 the encounters you make. And I didn't want to leave that behind. Um, but as soon as I got there, the conditions were so royal and also, it was going to be the first time I didn't have to worry about finances, really, you know, where I was just given an opportunity to explore. And I felt like there was a support system uh, that was really actively there to promote my growth. And so that was, you know, once you can, once you start really digging in and nothing's an issue but your work itself and your own expansion, you kind of get addicted to that. How long were you there? A year, over a year. Was that your first time in Italy or had you traveled? I had earlier? not gone to Italy before. Yeah. Yeah. And Italy's quite something. It's an extraordinary <laughs> place, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, it's also, you know, there's... I mean, I've I've always, like, that's a whole other conversation, but... um yeah, black men over there are not necessarily, you know, celebrated in Rome. Like, I definitely felt, you know, the tension. And I ran into, which I had not seen for at least 25 years, like uh, groups of skinheads. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's never, you know, comforting. And that's also one of the reasons I did leave France, I had quite a few run-ins with skinheads in Paris in the 80s. Right. So you'd mentioned that earlier that it was a sudden departure. So tell me more about that. Well, I mean, I just, I just felt like um, it was time to explore something new. And my, luckily my father and, uh, they separated, you know, when, when I was 10. But uh, so we were living in two different households. Um, but my father was really, you know, behind the idea of, of me going abroad. Um, the school system in France at the time, the universities were obviously very different, a lot cheaper. 
uh, but you weren't necessarily, you were going to study more than one topic uh, throughout your your school years. And, and I just like the idea that, you know, there were schools in the U.S. where you could immediately, well, after your freshman year, really specialize into what you wanted to, you know, learn. So I'm interested in thinking about this idea of what it means to walk through the world in the ways that you have and the places that you have as a black man. So what, I mean, particularly now when we're in this political era where, mm-hmm. um, you know, these sorts of tensions are becoming um, heightened in the gaze of the mainstream here uh, in the U.S. And around the world. And around Sadly. the world. Sadly. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Tell me, tell me. What comes to mind for you when I when I broach that topic? Oh, I think right. I mean, protection. I think self preservation, and is mandatory. Just because the the grotesque nature. I I, I call it grotesque because um, I didn't because I'm ignorant to some degree. I didn't see it coming like that. Not that anything. You know. I mean, through through. The U.S. is an extraordinarily violent place, um, but you know it just it just officialized that title. The Trump election definitely. What's the word I'm looking for? Like really, um, uh, um, the word I'm looking for is uh, conformiser. Conformises, that means you're 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 making something very um, a situation that should be shocking in nature a norm, right? Mm-hmm. And so after the few comments, you know, that this man made the shithole countries and Charlottesville automatically as a person um as a black man but also as a quote-unquote uh person of color uh along with others that are sharing the same land you're like there's a feeling of such abandonment that was already alive prior to this you know situation that you're like okay one we have to stick together uh, but we're definitely on our own for sure. And how do you navigate through that? You know, how do you how do you rebuild yourself? Um, you know, I'm sure that you know the, the stress level and tension internally had to go up for so many. So I guess you have to resort to stuff to counter that. You know, what is that? Like stuff med- for you? meditation, like like taking care of yourself physically. Uh, brushing, comp- uh, becoming a master of com- compartment, uh, compartmentalization. Of, yeah, of compartmentalization um, and resistance, like real resistance, not phony resistance, not, you know, like really, you know, like, and thank God, it's, I think it's alive. But yet, I'm just, as we speak now, I'm just discovering that I, have, I had a completely different vision of the power of justice and the judicial system on a, which doesn't seem to be working right now. Mm. (laughs) It never really did. But I mean, like right now it's in your face, you know, it's really like the flaws 
you know, the navigation in between the cracks, there are cracks, is what I'm saying. When you think about all of these dynamics you just laid out and your um, life's work as an artist, what do you think your role is in addressing these issues? How are you grappling with them in your work? So it's so ironic you should say that because at one point I started paying riots uh, before the Trump election. Something needed to come out. Like, I allowed myself to do it. Um, there is, a, you know, there, there, there's a, there, I've always been interested in, that's where it perhaps comes also, it alludes to my background of conflict and collisions, you know, two worlds colliding. So started thinking, and I guess one time, and I've always been interested in painting movement, uh, I, a couple of incidents, a couple of riots took place, but not in the U.S., um, where I was like, I think one one in the U.K. in London in 2000-something caught my attention, um, where I felt that the world, something that the world was 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 screaming in a way, or, you know, I don't know why that moment particularly uh uh, caught my triggered something, but I was like, let's try to paint that scream, you know, that mm. not rage necessarily, but that conflict, that 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 collision, these collisions. And then when this election took place, I was already too tired, <laughs> so now I retracted <laughs> towards a lot calmer things, portraiture beauty, bringing back hope, hopefully, soothing myself and others, hopefully. Um, and here we go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As you're talking, I'm thinking about um, the words of a woman that you collaborated with, and I wanted to talk about what that collaboration was, but the um, poet and writer Maya Angelou, mm -hmm. Poet and writer is insufficient to describe the, the yeah. breadth of her. Mm -hmm. The breadth of her. Um, but Maya Angelou talked about courage being the most important of all the virtues um, because it's what allows you to do everything else. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about the courage that it takes to, to do what you're describing. Um, but we talked earlier about Nina, so let's talk now about Maya. Like, what was it like working with her? It was... Um Amazing, um, because I had the luxury of spending a bit of time with her, only once. Uh, but she invited me, and that was right before I left for Italy. Mm -hmm. So I actually illustrated that book while in Italy, which was very weird. Um, but what she did which was, you know, a life-changing experience is, you know, I walked in, uh, she introd I introduced myself. I was you walked in where? You and her? To her house in Harlem. Here in, okay, in Harlem. Yeah. yeah. I think it was 110th Street or I forgot where exactly, around there. And she, she sat me down. She, I think, perhaps offered me some tea. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it was just me and her um, in this house. And she 
She was like, I want you to hear my poems. I want you to hear my voice when you do this book. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, absolutely. I'd love that. Thank you, you know, for sharing. And she just started reading, you know, it was, um, she, she, she started reciting um, maybe six or seven poems um, for me. And I just sat, wow. yeah, I just sat there uh levitated like when i walked out of there like my feet weren't touching the ground when i walked out i wasn't walking out i flew out basically (laughs) for days i I heard a voice i heard a voice you know constantly in 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 the loop and that's that was it and i i sadly never saw her again um in person um but i knew that um she uh, she apparently really dug my work, um, which was also you know very flattering. Uh, but it was a great, it was my last children book. What a gift! I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, it's a book for young readers. And after that, I was like, that's it. What's the title of that book? Poetry for young readers. I guess a collection of Maya's Angelos. You know, more more. It's not poetry for young readers mm-hmm. by Maya Angelou. So it's a collection of like fifteen of her most celebrated poems yeah well i can see why that's it i mean where do you go from there i mean <laughs> yeah no it, it, i mean it, no I, where i could go from there is to, to write my own ah. and i've been thinking about it mm-hmm. um but it's brewing how old is your your son now uh he's gonna be 10 mm. mm-hmm. so was it the raising of of him that made you think about that or how mm. are you coming to this mm. idea well, of course, observing him, having observed him grow uh, on a daily basis has um, reawakened my sensitivity towards that field. Um, but also because I'm starting to see that I may have a story to share. Mm-hmm. Until now, I... I, I, I I kind of like, you know, brushed it aside or never felt the confidence perhaps to really be certain that I have a story to share. Not everybody, you know, I mean, everybody does. Um, but sometimes you just have to unlock a few, you know, doors in your mind to to, to, to see it come to life. <laughs> Um, do you consider yourself a Brooklynite at this point, or is it just one of the Pretty places? much. Yeah. I think so. I How think long so. have you been here? I've been here since 96. Yeah. Yeah. I think now I could call this place home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, I've always loved Brooklyn. Um, even, you know, I used to live on Atlantic and Atlantic Avenue uh, when it was a wasn't grimy, but also something that makes this place even more um, territorially attaching is that I witnessed, like a lot of others, sadly, September 11th mm. take place from my teaching class. Oh, wow. So I saw the second plane, you know, hit the tower. Um and that surreal day really starts to, you know, you're, you're forced to think of where you are right now. 
you know. And so, ironically, and I should have collected, but, uh, you know, it's such a weird day, you know. I used to live in front of um, the mosque uh, that was under investigation afterwards. Oh, my God. And so I was escorted back from uh, the train station. I took this one last train to Brooklyn uh, before the, all the, the, the lines were, 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 were closed. And started the weirdest, you know, sort of phase of my life in Brooklyn, which was one that the wind was blowing to the east that day. So all of the memorabilia of unsent faxes and papers were literally landing, raining over Atlantic Avenue Mm. for hours, if not days. The smell was unbelievable. And I was escorted to my door to see, the, the cops wanted to see if I really lived there. My phone was tapped. Uh, there was a helicopter station above, you know, like our building. Um, so it was such a, you know, tragically surreal experience, but had to, you know, it made me think of where I was. Wow. And why I was there, you know, and if it was worth staying also, you know. So, yeah, I think anybody who's been through that um, probably has a different sense of attachment to an area. So you decided, apparently, that it was worth staying here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, I think there's a strength, or at least there, there, there still is. I mean, there's just like this, you know, experience of cultures and power. I mean, there's, it's not, I don't think it's accidental that so much power comes out. I mean, I mean, artistic power, not political. There's so much strength, strong work coming out of New York City. And it always has been the case, but I, I think it's even stronger now, you know? Um, say more. There's just so many, like, you know, I look at, like, some of the friends that I have, that I have, like the the work they're doing, you know, like not too far uh, from the, that gain, you know, international sort of recognition is it's very it, it's very motivating to wake up to know that you have like others not too far from you that are going through the same experience of trying to make it as an artist or to defend their vision, you know. And, of course, every city has artists, but it's, you know, it's kind of heroic to actually, you know, survive New York to some degree. I'm not saying, you know, it it, it doesn't have to be, it's maybe not the healthiest of (laughs) decisions and the calmest for the brain or the most serene, but, you know, we need to give ourselves a little props here, you know. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us on iTunes. It helps others discover this show. You can also follow us on the socials at Lineage Podcast and visit lineagepodcast.com for information about live events, to see portraits I've made of our guests, and to become a patron of this broadcast. For more from me, head on over to shawneejamila.com. The inaugural season of Lineage is brought to you by the generosity of our campaign supporters, with special thanks to our Founder Circle. 
Amika Carter, Ayana Dixon, Vera Grant, Lawanda Hodges, Ayana Minor, Wendell and Helen O'Neill, Romani Rogers, Jimmy and Lee Sutton, Chantal Vera, Stacey Burton White, and our associate producers, the BK Fam. Graphic design by Tony Moore Images. Original music composed by Cody Got Beats. Thank <music> you.